Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church today. Let's begin by entering into prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to come before you today, and we are before you today as we always are. We thank you that you gave us our son, Jesus Christ, to die for us when we were sinners, dead in our sins. We thank you also, Father, that you raised him from the dead. We thank you, Father, that your plan is perfect, and that by simply believing in the good news about your son, Jesus Christ, whosoever does that, never perish, but has eternal life already. We thank you also, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts. And we thank you also, Father, for the gift of the completed canon of Scripture. And Father, we want to pray this morning for all the saints, especially those that are experiencing great difficulty at this time, Father, especially, especially those who are living in persecuted situations. And we ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance today and all that will be going on. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us for song service. Good morning again, everybody. Just want to let everybody know, every month we do sponsor a different missionary organization. And this month we've been looking at uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship. They are, of course, an organization that uses planes and technology to reach those who are in remote areas of the world that otherwise might not hear the gospel. And uh, they do it through planes, as I mentioned. They support missionaries and pastors in in the geographic areas that they go to. They provide food and supplies and medicine and so forth. So they're a great organization for the Lord. We ask you to keep them in prayer. That's their website, www.maf.org. And if there's a possibility that you can support them financially, I know they could use it. Um, we're glad everybody's here this morning. As you know, uh, we're still dealing with, in our country with the COVID-19 virus. And we are keeping straight with what the government officials are asking to do with churches. And so we are, gonna, um, we are implementing the safety precautions that they've asked us to do. They're basic. I'm sure most of you, if not all, you know what they are. Um, when you're not seated, have a mask on six feet between people. Um, we're still recommending anybody who's a advanced age or has any kind of illness or predisposition that we're broadcasting live online, and we would welcome you to do that instead. We know that people don't want to put themselves at risk. Um, for the time being, we're not going to have uh, Sunday school, and that's just because you can imagine there's really no way of enforcing the six-foot rule with five, seven, eight-year-old kids. So for the time being, um, we know kids, you're going to be really well-behaved in here, so we don't have any problem with that. We do have a mother's room um, for, you know, probably one or perhaps two um, mothers and children. If you want to take advantage of that, you don't have to, but I want to let you know that is available. Um, okay, uh, let's uh, begin this morning uh, by going into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, 35. The whole chapter of 1 Corinthians is an amazing chapter dealing with the resurrection of the dead. Dealing with the fact that every believer in Christ will one day be raised from the dead in a resurrection body. Thereby to live forever in glory. That's true of everybody here who's a believer in Christ today. Everybody anywhere who's a believer in Christ. It's a promise to all believers. And in these days where we're facing... More and more difficulty in this world, and as we grow older, some of us are facing more and more difficulty with our bodies. It's a great comfort to know 
that there will be a day, maybe not too soon in the future, when Jesus Christ will appear in the clouds and we who are alive will be caught up after the dead have risen in Christ. And that's a guarantee. And it's something that should be our hope each and every day when we wake up. It's a day closer. And we're going to see the Lord face to face. And so that's the really ultimate place we're going to in chapter 15. That's where this ends up. Now, as many of you know who have been studying along with us, that in the meantime, though, Paul is dealing with um, people in the congregation, or at least in the periphery of the church in Corinth, who are denying that there's a resurrection of the dead. And we've seen that the reason they're doing that primarily is because the mindset where they came from, that, that Greek philosophical system that they came out of, Made it, made it such that the body was a bad thing and it, the soul's better off without it. And therefore, the, like the craziest thing in the world to them, the most repulsive thing in the world to them, would be for the corpse to rise and go back into the soul, or the other way around. Um, total misunderstanding. See, this is why teaching matters. This is why thought matters. This is why it does. You do have to come to the conclusion of who you're going to serve in life. And you have, to, you have to wrestle yourself until you understand that this book is the Word of God from start to finish. Because otherwise, you will have, we saw this last week, you will have wrong thinking. And if you have wrong thinking, that leads to wrong acting. And before that, you need, if you have wrong teaching, you see a lot of this is because people taught wrong. And as a result, they're taught wrong, which means they think wrong, which means they act wrong. And so Paul is dealing with that in the subject of the resurrection of the dead with the Corinthians. And so we're going to see today that he's going to move on to a new strategy um, for doing that, for, for debating and arguing and showing anybody who thinks there's no resurrection of the dead how really wrong they really are. title of today's message is Sown in Dishonor, Raised in Glory. Sown in Dishonor, Raised in Glory. It's from this section of chapter 15. We're going to see what that's all about again. Today we're going to study verses 35 to 34. I'm going to read them now, and you can see it in your Bibles. Verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? Well, what kind of body do they come? You fool. That's what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Principle from nature. Child can understand that. He's, he's, got, he's, kind of, kind of, he's kind of going to ridicule. The reason he calls them fools is because they're not even paying attention to the fact that this goes on in nature all the time. So how much more can God do this with his children? Okay? He says, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies, a seed in the ground. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be. Right? When somebody is planting to have apple trees, they don't stick an apple tree under the ground. They stick a seed in the ground. So he's saying, listen, you don't sow the body which is to be. You don't, show, you don't sow a, a stalk of corn. You, you seeds, a grain of corn. But a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. In other words, he gave bodies, we'll see this this morning, to everything in creation. We're going to see it this morning. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture that he paints about God's hand in creation and about how God provides a body to everything that's in this space and time. It's in everything he created in Genesis 1. Got some kind of body, including the plants and the trees and the stars and the moon and the sun. And he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm the one who did it. 
And he says, don't be, don't be trying to figure this out. But their day and age, they had Greek philosophy, and they thought that they were on top of everything, Pythagoras and all kinds of people. To our day and age, we have science. We think science is going to figure everything out. He's telling us that don't try to, you're not going to be able to figure this out. We're going to see more of that. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds, a body of its own. Think of it. You have a wheat, kernel of wheat, goes into the ground, it gets its particular body, the plant that comes up. Different one for for apples, different one for all the different things that he created. Different body for the different kinds of creatures. For animals, for fish, for birds, for the sky, for the, again, all of the constellation of stars. They all get a body. A different one. Well, let's go on. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds, a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there's one flesh of men. And another flesh of beasts. And another flesh of birds. They're different. And another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies, as well as earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one. The glory of when we look into the sky at night and we see the stars is very different from the glory that we see when we look at the worm in the ground. And yet they both have their body. They both have their function. The glory of the heavenly is one. And the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun. Isn't it unique for us? There's another glory of the moon at nighttime. And there's another glory of the stars that come out when it's not cloudy and you're not in an urban area. I'll never forget one time. I I always lived in urban areas. And one time we were having a conference out in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And and, um, looked up at the sky. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Look at that. I've never seen anything like it. You'll see the glory of God when you look at the stars on a clear night in in an area that doesn't have a lot of human lights going up, if you will, created lights. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, and there's the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, all are necessary, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Isn't that true? You have some stars that are brilliant in the night, and then you have these little specks We know today that they're millions of miles away or whatever they are. Or at least that's what the scientists tell us. I've never been there. So also is the resurrection of the dead. From what we understand in nature to what he's trying to teach us about. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. Anybody who's ever been to a grave site knows that. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised in the future now an imperishable body. That's what we're hanging on to is our great hope. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. He's teaching us now directly about the difference between our bodies now and the resurrection body we will have one day soon. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, not a spirit, but a body that was, is being created for the spirit to direct it, and to be in heaven. If there's a natural body like the one we have now, trust me, the Lord says through Paul, there's also going to be a spiritual body. Now this section of chapter 15 is introducing a new phase of Paul's argument. It's about the fourth way in which he's approached these people who deny the resurrection of the dead. He's used logic in several cases. He's painted the most amazing picture of why it is in all of God's plan that the saints have to be raised. And now he is going and saying to them, pay attention to this. 
because I want you to see how I'm going to show you that nature itself screams out the fact that the resurrection body is, is going to be fitted for who we are going to be and who we already are starting to be in the new man that God has created us to be. So again, it's a new phase of his argument against those who would say there's no resurrection of the dead. By the way, there's millions of people today that say that. I'm, I'm sorry to say that there's millions of Christians, so-called, I guess. That's kind of a, But if they don't, look, this is Paul's whole argument in chapter 15. If you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, you might as well lock the door of the church and never come back. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. So it's, it's fundamental. It's not an option. People say, well, you know, let's all get along. And if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, so be it. We'll just, you know, go on from there. You can't because the gospel of Jesus Christ includes the fact that he was raised from the dead and also includes the fact that we will be raised one day with him. It's fundamental to our hope as a Christian. That's what Paul just got finished saying in the passage we studied last week. But so, so that, that, that point is, is that we're still dealing with this today. We're st- the people that are mocking Christianity all the time, they're saying, you actually believe that that dead body is going to come out of the ground and live again, right? And the answer is, well, answer is no. <laughs> we'll see about that. Because it's not the same body. That's the whole thing that Paul is going to talk about. Just like a seed is not the same body. Look at a seed, how small it is, right? It's not the same body as a great apple tree or an oak tree. That's a totally different body. And yet there's a connection, isn't there? You put, a, you put an apple seed in the ground, you don't get an orange tree, you get an apple tree. So there's a connection, but they're totally different. That's the lesson he's going to teach today about the resurrection body. All right, so now what he's going to do, it's a great technique for those of you that um, want to engage in argument, debate, and rhetoric, and so forth. It's a great thing uh, to do, and it's he's anticipating. Before they even get a chance to come up with the next argument, he's going he's to state it for them in the form of two questions. Notice there in verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? See, they're not just taking it on faith, are they? They're not saying, you know what, the Lord says it, I believe it, that settles it. The Lord says that we're going to be raised from the dead in a new resurrection body. He said it, that's good enough for me. No, it wasn't good enough for them. They were going forward. You know how it is. You say something, somebody that's from the Word of God, and then they want to question it. A lot of times they want to ridicule it indirectly by the kind of question they ask and so forth. That's what they were doing. It was not an honest inquiry. Right? There are lots of people who honestly want to know the answers to these things. That's not what Paul's dealing with here. He's dealing with the scoffers, with the skeptics, who are making fun of what he's teaching. Two questions they ask him. How are the dead raised? How does that possibly work? Well, what kind of body do they come? They're saying, I hope it's not that same dead body that went, look at that. You know, yeah, at best it's been wrapped up really carefully and maybe the, de- the, the degradation and the corruption has been less, but there's no, <sighs> you want to be in that body? You know, that's, what he's, that's making fun of the whole idea. So again, two questions. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And again, these people think the very idea of the resurrection of the body is ridiculous. And again, it's no different today. See, there's a lot of people that were there today. They make up their minds about something. They make up their minds. They're just going to say, listen, there's no resurrection of the dead. They start from that. They start from denying the truth of the word of God, and then they go on. They start to throw, you've seen it, they throw out roadblocks. You must have seen it. If you've ever evangelized, you know what this, how this works. 
You know, you speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the thing why if they hear that and believe it, they're saved and have eternal life and will get a resurrection body. And yet they don't want any part of that. They want to pick it apart. They want to ask certain questions about it. What about this? What about that? You know, what about the one in the tribe of the middle of the African jungle that's never going to hear the gospel? You know, the stuff they come up with, right? Do you really believe that you say God is love and they would really send people to the lake of, you know, all that stuff? What is it? Not taking God at his word. Now, we expect that from the unbeliever. We shouldn't expect it from the church, but yet we get the same thing. Sometimes it's honest. Sometimes it's not. All right. So... You know the questions about the resurrection body that you get. Again, there are some who ask this honestly. There are others who are just trying to pick us apart. Oh, so you say there's a resurrection of the dead. Well, what about those who die at sea? They're not in the ground. How's that going to work? They're eaten by sharks. The body, who knows where it is. How about those who die in infancy? How about those who are deformed? You know, they can go on and on with all these questions and all these objections. We see it today, just like back then. Jesus had to deal with this. He came across some resurrection deniers in his day. They were called the Sadducees. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you will be sad, you see. But that's the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. I'm not going to go to it now, but he was dealing with the same thing. Remember, they posed a question. They already started. Remember, there was a whole sect that said there's no resurrection. So that's where they start. They were blind to it. They were sticking there feet on the ground and saying, I'm not moving. Well, how did they deal with Jesus then? And if you remember the story, they said, hey, rabbi, teacher, they didn't call him Lord, of course. Hey, we got a question for you. Hey, listen, uh, you're saying there's a resurrection of the dead. Well, you know, Moses in the law said that if a man's wife dies, his brother's going to marry him. Well, what happens if there's a family that has eight boys and then the oldest marries, and then he dies, and the second one marries the wife, and then the third when he dies, and the fourth when he dies. And the, you know, this is the kind of ridiculousness people will throw at you, right? You know, can God make a stone so big he can't lift it kind of thing, right? So he says, now, he says, listen, he says, Jesus, seven husbands and one wife. In the resurrection, Lord, who's going to be their husband? See, that's the kind of thing that you deal with. He threw that away by saying, there's no marriage in heaven. Nobody said amen. Okay, you must have happy marriages. <laughs> uh, by the way, happy Father's Day to everybody. Father, who's a father? We all have a heavenly father, so you can wish him a happy birthday too. All right, so now that's what the Lord did, but let's see this morning about what happens in, when the Lord, through the pen of Paul, addresses the same thing, dealing with these same characters, asking these kind of questions, these two questions, actually, Paul's going to... Remember now, Paul has posed them himself. And that's a great technique, you see. If you want to win the thing, make sure you go after the questions that you want to answer. Right? So in other words, it's the same thing with the gospel. Somebody comes up to you and they say, you know, well, you know, what about the people that are in uh, Africa and they never heard the gospel? You say, you know what? That's not the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking is, what about you? What about you if you deny the salvation that's given you in Christ only? How, where are you going to end up? You see, you move it back to the question you want them to focus on. And th- this is what Paul's doing. He's saying, all right, let's talk about these two, because I know you're asking them in your heart. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Look at verse 35 as he starts this argument. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Because they're all nodding their heads and saying, yeah, I said, that's what I want to know. Come on, Paul, give me the answer. But here's the answer. 
You fool. Don't you love that? It's the Psalms say, uh, only a fool believes there's no God. He puts them right in their place right away. So there's no question about it where he stands on their questions. You fool. Then he goes on. What does he mean by that? That which you sow, seed in the ground, doesn't come to life unless it dies. If there's a seed that stays above the ground or it stays on the leaf of a tree, it is not going to produce the new growth. It's only when it goes into the ground and dies. Okay. You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. I suppose the Lord, when he was going to feed the 5,000, could have taken a grain of wheat and gotten it done. But think about if we were getting together uh, for, for a community meal, right? And all we brought was a, one grain of wheat. And people looking at us and saying, what do you want to do with that? Right? Bare grain of wheat. Yet, if it dies, it produces a great harvest. All right. So he says, listen, it's a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else, but God gives it a body. See, that's the answer to their first question. How are the dead raised? God gives it a body. See, they don't want that answer, right? It's like today. You know, people want to have scientific answers for everything, right? Don't they? You know, they ask a question, well, how could there be Noah's Ark? Or how could there be, you know, all the things that they want scientific answers for. And the Lord is saying, you know what? You can use science all day long. And it's great. I've given it to you as a tool. Okay? But when I say something... I don't want you thinking you can take a tool I've given you and use it against what I say. That is not going to work, you see. And so he's saying, listen, the reason why the dead are raised is because God's going to give us a body. All of us. God's going to give us a body. It will be human, but it will be nothing like the body we're in now. God gives it a body, just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. Different seeds, different bodies. So we're going to see that in this section, and actually from verses um, 36 to 41, which we are right now partially, Paul makes two appeals to nature. You know, um, Paul was a master at using metaphors and images and illustrations. Think about, for example, the whole armor of God, right? Was he saying that we should go out and get a medieval, you know, knight's costume and put that on in order to resist the devil? Is that what he's saying? No, of course not. He's using a metaphor, an analogy. In the same way that a helmet will protect your head, right? The gospel will protect your thinking in the evil day and so forth. He's a master at it. He's going to go to nature this time. Why? Because he's saying, look, I'm going to go somewhere that the simplest child is familiar with. In that day and age, they were agricultural economy. They lived because people grew things in the ground and so forth. And they had livestock. So from a very young age... The people would see the plants coming out and they would see the farmers waiting for the harvest and hoping that the right conditions were there. The rains were so important to the, uh, the saints, the Old Testament, actually everybody in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, because if they didn't come in the right way, the crops would be ruined. Everybody knew about that. In the same way, a child of four years old, even younger, can look up into the stars at night. Hopefully they're not out too late at night, you know, kids, you should be. But they look out, they can, they can see the moon, they can see the stars. They know, you know, when you're, when you're, before you get corrupted by the thinking of this world, it's obvious to you that God created these things. How else could they possibly be up there in all their grandeur? Even a child knows that. 
You see, he's going to nature. He's making two appeals to nature. Why? He's going to draw some analogies. He's saying, yeah, we can all agree that a seed goes into the ground and it comes out and reels a great harvest. We can all agree on that. But how about the resurrection body? He's going to go from what they understand to what they obviously don't understand. Two times he's going to use nature, two different ways. All right, the first one, we've seen it. First analogy, he's saying, I'm going to teach you something about the resurrection of the dead by using the sowing of a seed. I forget who the presidential candidate was, but was saying, um, farming's easy. I don't know if I'm, I'm drifting off. He's like, ah, nothing to farming. You just put a seed on the ground, uh, in the ground and it comes up. You know. Well, you know, that's a whole other story. But he's saying, I'm going to use that analogy, sowing of a seed. And when you think about that, he points out to them that a seed, a bare grain of wheat, perhaps, or any a seed of, a, of corn, a seed of apple tree, all of that, it won't come to life unless it dies. He's already, now, you know, the wise person would be thinking, all, because the people he's trying to address are not wise at all. They're wise in their own eyes. But anybody who's given this chance is going to realize already, wait a minute, I see what he's doing. He's starting to draw a connection here. He's saying, you know what, think about the seed in the ground. It dies and it comes up. Think about the body in the ground. It dies and then it gets a new body at some point in the future, or the person does. And he says, listen, it doesn't come to life unless it dies. There's a picture of a grain of wheat. It's in the ground, and it's starting to sprout. I'm going to show you in a minute that even today, the best scientists in the world that study this aren't totally convinced, sure how it happens. So if that's true about a simple stalk of wheat, why are we thinking we're going to understand everything about how God is going to raise the dead with the, not only an intricate human body, but a new kind of human body, which we, don't, we, we have no basis for understanding. He's saying, you're a fool if you're going to expect all of this to be understandable before you're going to accept the truth of God's word. You're a fool. Now, furthermore, God gives different kinds of bodies to different kinds of seeds. For example, the wheat seed becomes that. You see, now look at that body. Just, just look at that for a minute. Say the way a, a seven-year-old who's going to draw that looks at it. Okay? And then he says, you know what? Field of wheat, okay. How about a field of corn? Isn't it different? I mean, a kid sees that. And all of a sudden, he's like, that's really cool. You've got the stalks. You've got the yellow in the middle. And look, it looks like my teeth and the mouth. and all. It's great. Totally different from wheat. Different body for different seed. And you get the point. Apples, very different from the first two, are they not? Yeah, you can't climb on a, on a, a stalk of corn, can you? Maybe you can if you're really light, like a squirrel. But I, there's absolutely no way that, I would, that it could hold me, okay? On the other hand, I could climb up an apple tree, and if it's big enough, it will hold me. Different, totally different body. Different seed, different body. Apple seed, new living apple tree. Human, goes into the ground in dishonor, and then when God's ready, new body. New body. That's how it works. Now, here's the thing. I want to think about this. Now, we today we kind of get all this, but imagine, imagine being that five-year-old again. All right, and, and your family's doing a little family garden. And you have no idea what they're up to. All you can see is that they're tilling, the, they're fixing up, they're digging, and they're putting these little things in the ground about every eight inches or so. And they're like, saying, what is that all about? It seems like a waste of time. You're, you're digging things up, you're throwing them in the ground, and you're walking away. It's like, 
what about that thing you just put in the ground? What is it? I don't know. I don't know. And you're not going to know until what? The harvest. Yeah, you'll see. You ever see like different things coming out of the ground? And for a while, they all kind of look the same. You know, little green stalks coming out here, there, and everywhere. Jesus talked about the wheat and the tares, and you can't really tell what's what until the harvest. All right? Same thing here. You, can't, you wouldn't have predicted it. Nobody, nobody who didn't know would look at a little seed of an apple coming out of an apple. You didn't know it was from an apple, though. You just saw this little brown, dark brown seed, and you threw it in the ground. Who would have come up with the idea that now an apple tree would come out? It's, it's miraculous. And again, kids understand this. The first time you see that, I remember when we had a tomato garden in the backyard. And I was like, I, I, you know, this doesn't seem like it's going to work. Maybe dad doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe, the, maybe that, they don't work in Rhode Island or something, you know. And then I started to see the little things come up. And I'm like, wow. We lose that sense of wonder. But at least we ought to have that sense of wonder about the resurrection body we're going to get someday. You have to wait for the harvest. He's saying them the same thing. He's saying, look, you're questioning all this. You want to know all the ins and outs. You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait until that day when Jesus appears in the clouds and brings us up to be with him. Then you'll really know what the body's all about. Because you'll have one. You'll be in one. But until then, you've got to take God at his word. Now, with regard to how, they asked the question, how? How does this work? Well, with regard to how a seed dies, how it dies, and then how it germinates. You know, let me just show you that picture again, if I can get back there. The how. See, we know the that. We see it. But how? Think about it. How does a dead little kernel in the ground do that? They don't even know today. Exactly how that works. They're trying. You see, Paul is interesting. He doesn't even venture an answer. You know, he says, you know what? You just have to take it on faith that God did it. You know, I'm not, even, I'm not I don't know. The farmers in Jesus' day didn't know. All right? The same thing came up. The farmer doesn't understand it. You know, in Mark 4, 26, you know, he says, I, I put it in the ground, it comes up, but how? I don't know. All of a sudden, it's, it's thunder. The first, the, the ear of corn, then the rest of it's miraculous. Well, you say, yeah, well, they were, they were ignorant agricultural economy. They didn't have Nobel Prizes for science and biology. And we got it all over them today. Well, let me tell you something. Despite all the advances in science and biochemistry and everything like that, seed germination, that simple germination, is still mysterious today. All right? There's a um, periodical, it's actually Japanese, although I guess they translate it into English. It's called breeding science. And that's not what you think it is. Okay, it's not, it's not um, cloning or anything, but it's basically what we're talking about. How do you, how do you create uh, seeds that are very effective in growing different crops and so forth? Well, there was an article in there a few years ago that was called Seed Germination. The Biochemical and Molecular Mechanism. Don't I sound intelligent now? Bio, I can read the words, I'm not sure what they mean. Biochemical and Molecular Mechanisms by Hiroyuki Nagagaki. A Japanese fellow. This is what he writes in this paper that he submitted. The molecular and biochemical mechanisms of seed germination are not fully understood today. Now, this took a lot of guts. If, when somebody writes an abstract that's called seed germination, the biochemical and molecular mechanisms, and he concludes that, 
You got to take him at his word. I mean, it's a little, isn't it a little embarrassing to say, I'm going to write a whole paper on this subject, and then I'm going to tell you, I don't really fully understand what I'm writing about. So I think he's pretty credible. It's a transformation, but we don't understand how it occurs. Here's a picture of more stages. We can see it, but we don't know how. I mean, after all, how really does that stalk come out of that dead seed? It's a miracle. Yeah, doesn't it? Now, the thing about it is, is that we've also seen this in other places. Nature's full of this, right? I mean, what's the classic example? Anybody? Butterflies. No? Yeah, butterflies, right? It's like a totally different, you know, you're like, wait a minute. I put, I put the, this really ugly thing that's crawling around, eating up all of the milkweed, and then all of a sudden it spins this thing, which is an amazing thing all by itself. How did it learn to do that? Hmm. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, if you put the right covering all over it, you see all these butterflies. <laughs> Completely different body, you know? So we see it all over the place. But what's the key? The key is, that, you know why that body comes out of that seed? You know why the butterfly comes out of the... It's not a cocoon, it's another word I can't think of. You know why? It's real simple. God chose it. <laughs> That's why. That's why. That's how. Now, this again, make it the same way for the miracle of the resurrection body. Now, how does that happen? God chooses it. He is going to build a human body that is designed for the human spirit. You see, us today, our bodies, now I'm not talking about the, our spiritual life, but our bodies today are designed for the soul, for designed for the senses and taking that information in and all of that, Right? Man, totally different ball game. When we have our resurrection body, and the spirit will be ascendant, and that will it'll be a new kind of life, but still bodies, still human. Remember when God said, "This one I've made in my image and likeness." He was talking about the body as well as the spirit and the soul. He's saying this image. He's saying that you're going to have bodies forever. They'll always be human, but they won't always be the same. The body we're in now, built for the soul. The body that we're going to get will be built for the spirit. Let's look at verse 39. <laughs> he moves on to another subject. Well, what am I saying? Well, he's talking about seeds and plants. Now he's going to move on to something else. Still talking about difference. Differences and kinds. Notice verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one flesh of men. Another flesh of beasts another flesh of birds, and another of fish. He's talking about the kinds of bodies that they're in. Okay. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is one. The glory of the earthly is another. Now, once again, an astute student who's really concentrating on what Paul is saying is seeing, I know now where he's headed. He's talking about earthly bodies like the animals and the fish, heavenly bodies like the sun and the moon. But I know what he's really going to teach us about He's going to teach us about an earthly body called the body of corruption and a heavenly body called the resurrection body. And he's using nature as an analogy. He's saying, listen, there's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars where stars differ, star differs from stars. Second illustration, earthly and heavenly bodies. Again, something that you can observe. Every night, every morning, we're looking at the, well... 
I sometimes sleep a little late, but you know, if you look in the east, you know, you're expecting the sun to rise, right? At the end of the day, I'm usually around for that. You go in the west and the sun's setting, and every day there it is. I mean, you know, from the time you're really young, you've always known that the sun was going to be in the sky. Okay. There's a glory of the sun, glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. You know, we sing about the moon. It's not as bright, obviously, as the sun. But, you know, all those songs about the, in the moonlight, you know, all that song, you know. Anyway, um, stars. Yeah. So, on earth... Different creatures have received different bodies from God. Isn't that true? Our body is really different than the body of a lion or cattle, right? For one thing, we stand on two feet, right? I mean, for another thing, I think we're better looking. I mean, they probably get a debate from the cattle, but I really do think we're better looking than they are. Body of birds. Now, you might say, well, a crinkly little bird, it's really scrawny. Yeah, but it can fly in its own body. Oh, yes, we can fly in an airplane. That's not our body, though. They have a body right now that can fly. Why? Because they're designed for the air, right? The human body is designed for the ground. Different bodies, different functions. He's saying, you know, the same holds for fish, unique features. What are they? What can they do that the, but the animals on the ground and the animals in the sky can't do? Swim underground for a long period of time, underwater for a long period of time. So they have a body designed to do that. Many different kinds of birds, many different kinds of fish, many different beasts. Now, we should know that there are different fleshes because we eat them. I think we still do. Right? And are there any, any representatives from PETA here today who want to debate that point? Okay, so, so in other words, we're eating different, right? We're eating, I don't know about you, but I think steak is really different from chicken. You think? And I think both are different from tuna, different flesh. Right? Bird bodies fitted for the air. I want you to think about this. This is nature that we can see. Because remember, he's going to move to the resurrection body that we can't see. He's saying, listen, the body is designed for its function in its environment. Any good architect would do it that way. They call it form follows function. You have function, you'll have a body suitable because God picked it. Bird bodies are fitted for the air. Fish bodies are fitted for the water. Beast bodies are fitted for the land. And God did it all. Just go to the book of Genesis and you'll see that. Those are the bodies on earth. And he turns to the bodies in heaven. And he says the same thing holds. You have the glory of the sun. Heavenly bodies. All of them. Okay, the moon, the sun, the stars. Are different. The glory of looking at them is very different from the glory of looking at cattle. Or a fish that you catch, right? The different glories. Now, there is a certain kind of glory to the fish that you catch, especially because you caught it. There's certain very beautiful fish. But isn't it totally different to look in the sky at the brilliance? Don't look at the sun, but the brilliance of the sun. Isn't that a totally different glory, if I can use that word? It is, right? So he's saying, listen, the glories of these heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, different from the bodies on earth. Make the connection. We have an earthly body now. Someday we're going to have a heavenly body with brilliance and glory beyond all comparison. Heavenly bodies shine in the heavens with the light. They bring their own light and they bring it down to us. They send it down to us. We don't have our own light. Except maybe if you're struck by lightning, you might have it for about 10 seconds before you're cooked. But we don't emit light, right? No. Heavenly bodies, wow. Lights up 
the whole universe, the whole whatever this is, all the planets and the earth and everything, the sun. And the brilliance of the sun is greater than the brilliance of the moon because each body has its own function. God designs bodies that fit the function for that kind of creation. The body we have now, we have it because God designed it because of the functions he wanted us to do here on earth. Like what? Like walk? Like talk? Like hold on to things? Right? All the things we do with our bodies today. We procreate. Remember what Jesus said, there ain't no marriage in heaven. So this body now procreates. The, body, the heavenly body won't. So there's all these different functions that are doing, we need to do now. We're not going to do and vice versa. All right, the worship of the Lord. That's what that body is going to be designed for ultimately. Oh, it'll give us amazing pleasure and it will be, we'll be blown away by it. But ultimately, God's designed it to be heavenly and spiritual because he wants children and he wants worship in, in spirit and in truth. Today, we're dominated by the idea of the worship that we, we, we uh, people walk into a great cathedral and they're impressed by the windows and the, the incense and all of that. God is saying, that's not worship. We worship in spirit and in truth, and one day we'll have a body that's totally suitable for that. body we were born with was fitted for an earthly existence. That's why we're with the body we have now. It works pretty well, but of course it breaks down. Resurrection body never will. The body of the resurrection will be fitted for a heavenly existence. Imagine that. So he's saying, look all around you. See the farmer growing seed. See the difference between the flesh of humans and the flesh of animals and birds and fish. Now look into the heavens and look at the sun and the moon and the various stars. See how they shine. And see how one differs from another in glory. No two have the same brilliance. And we ultimately realize something. God is infinitely creative in nature. This, by the way... So if you're a Christian and you understand what happened in Genesis, there's no way you're going to believe in evolution. Why? Because God demonstrated his infinite creativity in doing that, you know? We, evolution says the survival of the fittest, right? Survival of the fittest. Well, doesn't that assume that there's an arrival of the fittest? You ever think about that? Oh, I can get, well, you know, people are different, but where'd they come from? See, God's infinite creativity was what produced all of the kinds of animals and fish and stars and all of that. Now, if he can do that, if he can be infinitely creative in nature, if he can bring about the miracle of life from a dead seed and clothe each star with its own glories, how much more will he give new glorious bodies to the saints? who will one day be transformed into the image and likeness of His Son. That's what the Bible says. If we're going to be transformed into the image and likeness of the resurrected Son of God, then we're going to have a body like the resurrected Son of God. Now, don't make, don't, don't make no mistake, that resurrection body will still be a human body. See, apple, seed, apple, tree. Apple, apple, apple. It'll be the same in terms of its kind still going to be human however it will be fit for heaven rather than for earth we will have a heavenly body and we're going to get it at the rapture where we're going to have our first experience of being in a body in heaven all right by no means is that going to be the resuscitation of a corpse 
like Lazarus. Miracle and all that. But he had the same kind of body. You know, if he had, if he had aches and pains before, you know, he's going to have aches and pains after. He's going to die. Okay? Not so with the resurrection body. All right. Verse 42. And we'll wrap up. So, also is the resurrection of the dead. Aha. Now we see why he was talking about nature, right? By the seed becoming a plant and by the different bodies of flesh and the stars and the moon. He's saying all of that was to teach you something about the resurrection body. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. won't die. It is sown in dishonor. Nothing more dishonorable than a corpse in the ground. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Nothing weaker than a dead body. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, then there is a spiritual body. In verses 42 to 49, we're going to get through 44 today. Come on back and we'll get through 45 to 49 next week. What's he going to do? He's going to take his analogies and use them. I taught you about seeds and taught you about, not even taught you, just had you reflect on what you already knew about seeds and plants and apple trees and the moon and the stars and all that. I'm going to use that now. I'm going to take that information from nature and I'm going to shed light on the resurrection body. He moves. This is the technique. What you can do too. You can move from what can be observed, nature, to what cannot be observed, our resurrection bodies. That's a great teacher. Now, what did, how did Jesus teach when he was here on earth? Parables, right? I mean, he, he taught directly to those who could take it, but then to everybody else, he taught parables. What was that? Something that they understood, right? A man went out to sow a seed, they got that. Something that they didn't understand, right? The last judgment and so forth. So, great way of teaching, folks. What they know to what they don't know. What can be observed in nature to what cannot be observed, the resurrection body. As this, so that. And he does it in two ways, just you know, corresponding to the nature that he already showed us. He's going to take the seed-to-plant analogy, and he's going to apply it to the resurrection body. That's in verses 42 to 44. Take the seed-to-plant analogy. He's not really talking about agriculture, teaching about it. He's talking about it. And then apply it to the resurrection body. And then we're going to see later on, next week, he's going to take what, we've, what we saw about earthly and heavenly bodies, moon, the sun, the stars, the cattle, and apply that to the resurrection body. And that's in verses 45 to 49. All right, let's wrap up today in verses 42 to 44. <clears throat> Paul's going to take, again, this, the principle that he's established of the seed dying so the plant can come alive. And he's going to apply it to these bodies of corruption that get old, deteriorate, and being replaced by the resurrection body one day in the future. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. Every one of these bodies will die, except for the rapture generation. But otherwise, it's still designed to die. If the rapture hadn't happened, it would have died. It is sown a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable, immortal. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown. Now, see, he's using the word of sowing and things coming out of the ground, that picture over and over again, but now he's turning it into the resurrection body. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
If there's a natural body, mark it down. There's also a spiritual body. The pattern, sowing and raising. Now he's going to use it to point out four differences between the body we have now, and we understand, and the resurrection body to come. Again, what is sown and what is raised. The same nature or the same kind, human to human, but otherwise a totally different thing, totally different kind of body. Just like a seed is totally different than a plant. Perishable means mortal, going to die. To imperishable, immortal, never going to die. Bodies today, sown in corruption, we have disease, we have illness, we have death. Our joints break down, our teeth decay and fall out, our hair falls out. Men lose testosterone after age 40. Well, at least according to Frank Thomas, I mean, how many times have you seen that commercial? Look at verse 53 as we close. First, first Corinthians 15, 53. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. It has to happen. If there's a natural, there's got to be a spiritual. And again, that's something a child understands. child understands there's something wrong with death. Why does grandpa have to die? I don't understand that. Can he come back? Can I see him again? There's something in our hopes that resurrection is real and the kids understand it and then we get all sophisticated and we argue against it. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this immortal must put on immortality. But when this happens, when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, immortal, body that never dies, that this mortal will be put on immortality, then will come about the saying that everybody wants to hear, that everybody down deep knows has to be true. Death is swallowed up in victory. The story of human's creation by God ends very well, as it has to. All right. Next one, dishonor to glory. Please turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3.20. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Nothing honorable, right, about the corpse. Has no rights or privileges. Nobody wants to look at it. It's forgotten. No honor. Philippians 3, 20-21. For our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. From which heaven we also eagerly wait for a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And He will, not might, He will transform the body of our humility dishonor into conformity with the body of his glory sown in dishonor raised in glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself not only can he create all these bodies not only can he transform a seed to a plant but he is subjecting it all to himself that's the whole point all right and then weakness and power Jesus himself was crucified because of weakness. What was that weakness? Sinful, sinful human beings. Yet he lives because of the power of God. The power of God raised him from the dead. We're also weak right now in Christ, in our bodies, but we will live with him. Because of the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, one day directed towards you. Resurrection body. All right, finally, natural and spiritual. This is where we'll close. Natural, spiritual. This is what we'll study next week, but I just want to introduce it to you. The body, a natural body, when it was 
sown, it was embodying the soul. When it is raised, it will embody the spirit. If there is a natural, the Greek is sukikos, which means soul-like, there will be a spiritual to house the spirit. All right. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you so much for the amazing things that you put in your word. When we just stop, consider it, take our time with it, take it all in. We know it will transform our hearts. Our minds will be renewed. That's why we have to come together as an assembly and hear the preaching of the word of God. All the more so as we see the day appear closer and closer. And we just want to thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before I let you go, a couple of reminders. We do have a Bible study. It's every Thursday. It's at 6.30. Right now it's on Skype. All right, formerly we had it in the family room across the way. I'm hoping real soon we'll be able to do it again. But for now, because of the, how close we are together, you know, for a while, apparently that's the way in which the thing spreads most easily when people are around together for a while talking and whatever else we're doing. So I don't want to do that yet. We're on Skype. Um, if, if you don't have Skype or if you don't know how to get to us, you can email mark at lbible.org. M-A-R-C at L-B-I-B-L-E dot org. We don't tithe here, by the way. We don't even pass the basket around. You know why? Because it's supposed to be a gracious act. Just as God graciously gave us so much, He says, you're my children, I want you to be the same way. He said, when I bless you financially, I hope in your heart you have a priority of supporting my things, my people, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word of God. That's how it works. Okay? So we're not going to pressure you. We're not going to tithe. That's an Old Testament idea, taxation. No, we're not going to do that because the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. The Bible tells the church... Read it up. You can read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. It tells the church that I want you to give freely, generously, from the heart. Not because you're forced. We are not under law, tithing. We are under grace, giving freely. Okay, so that's our policy. Um, you can do it several ways. You know, we, uh, we have a box in the back. It doesn't look like that. I always say that just so people don't try to find that. Um, you go to all U.S. mail or on, online like a lot of churches have now. I want everybody to listen now, especially those who may not be a believer in Christ yet. There's no more important message that will ever come from a pulpit or a Christian than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was born of a woman. He remained God. He is God in the flesh. But as in the flesh of humans, he was able to die. And he did. God gave his only son to die must have been for an amazing reason. And it was. It was so that our sins would be forgiven. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. The first fruits of those that would follow. He has a resurrection body now. We'll have one one day if you're a believer in Christ. And it's simple. And it's such grace. It says, you don't do anything. God says, look, look at my son on the cross. It was done already. That's, all right. That's what matters. It's finished. Now I'm, just, I'm giving this message to you to be believed so that you now line up with my plan. 
Honor my son by believing the truth about the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the message that the church should be proclaiming all the time. That's why we do it every week. And you guys, proclaim it out there with whoever is brought into your path where you know that uh, it's time to open your mouth and speak boldly. All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for everything that you've given us. A glimpse today into the resurrection body. A challenge today to preach the gospel. Also looking around to take care of one another. We pray for the grace and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to do all those things and whatever it is that you've called every one of us to do. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed. Enjoy Father's Day.